choosing the ideal ute if you are a family intent on heavy towing. <laughs> That's next. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap for buyers here in Australia. Website for that, obviously. Or you can just click the card that's up there now. Dude. So you're going to breed and you're going to tow. Must have been quite awful in a previous life, I'd suggest, but uh, hey, it's a free country, more or less, on lockdown until the end of the month. But if you would like to do that to yourself, I guess there's no law against that yet. And the least I can do to aid and abet your objective is to slap on a little bit of KY, metaphorically, and ease you into the ideal ute. This question is from Mark Edmonds. Hi mate, loved reading through all your articles. I'm currently looking to get out of my Volkswagen transporter and into a ute. Work has changed and more towing looks to be in my future. As for the need for more than two seats with extra people on the way. Not looking for anything really to go off-road with. I have a 2002 Prado that I go off-road and up the beach with. Realistically looking for a ute with good towing capacity, safety features and a couple of interior niceties. Any help would be grand. And with that, Mark has given me a short list which many a would-be ute buyer would endorse. Hilux Ranger Amarok, okay? But to me, Amarok doesn't fit, okay? Because its use-by-date has expired. And I know there will be people out there, perhaps you shouting at the screen going, but I loves me Amarok. And I get that, and you're allowed to love it, okay? But on Planet Objective, Amarok is as old as the hills. It's the friggin' Joan River of Utes, dude. And just for this reason, okay, Mark's gonna breed. He's gonna spit out a couple of kids. Well, if he does, he'll never have to work again. Perhaps that'll be down to his lovely wife. Now, let's think about that. You're gonna put those kids in the ute. They're gonna go in row two, okay? Amarok is so old that there is no head-protecting side airbag protection in row two. And I would not do that to my children, okay? I wouldn't do that to anyone in a modern car. Like, it doesn't cost any extra, is what I'm saying, to get the full protective suite of contemporary safety devices around you. And believe me, the one thing you never want to be doing with cars is fronting up to the emergency department and having a discussion about what do we do about a brain injury for a child. That's just... I've covered the emergency department. It's a very sobering place. I've seen life-saving surgery on young adults who make mistakes. And you come away from that and you think about the whole thing differently afterwards, let me tell you, okay? So, Amarok was a good thing. Its V6 goes like the clappers, I'll give it that, every day of the week. Goes fantastic, okay? but it's just not safe enough anymore. And if you go to ANCAP's website now and you type in Amarok, current models only, okay, it will return a five-star result. 
But that was because the test was like 10 years ago when the bar was like down here and now the bar is up here and the difference is life and death or it's the living hell of traumatic brain injury for the rest of your life or something like that. So Amarok's got to go. And P.S., Volkswagen is really good at throwing you under the bus if you're a customer with a legitimate complaint. And that doesn't happen all the time, but it happens too often. So Amarok's got to go. And while we're eliminating vehicles that were or weren't on the list, Navara's got to go too, because if you're towing something heavy, all the dual cab Navaras, I think it's all the dual cabs, it might be just all the upmarket dual cabs, I'd have to check, but they've all got coil springs at the rear. And coil springs give the vehicle fantastic unladen ride quality, right? Fantastic, no argument. But coil springs are comparatively shit at carrying loads and towing heavy things. And that's because it's really hard to make a coil spring adaptive through a large range of loads, all right? Whereas it's really easy with a leaf spring. You just build a free leaf in down the bottom that is not engaged as part of the spring pack for normal duties. And then when you put a heavy load in place, the rest of those leaves above it compress down and engage the next one, and the spring rate dramatically improves, all right? So that's why leaf springs are better at load carrying, and they're also better at protecting the chassis from the inertial effects of those loads as well, because a leaf spring goes from the axle here out like this and attaches at two points on the chassis, so it resolves the load into the chassis at two points separated by like, I don't know, that far, right? And that is much more protective of the chassis than having a coil which resolves all of the load in one point directly above the coil. Okay, so Navara's got to go for towing. It's just a dog at that. Okay, so, you know, shoot me if you love your Navara, but it's just not a towing machine. All right. And on the issue of D-Max and BT-50, let's lose them as well, because they're too new, A, eh? and D-Max, like Isuzu is really having a lend of itself with the price on these vehicles. And we don't know enough about that vehicle in service yet. And I'd like a few more months of data on how that vehicle's going out there on the road in long-term sort of service before you drop the big bucks on that. Because it would be terrible for that to be disappointing, all right? And then the other utes to consider, someone's going to say, oh, what about Great Wall Motors, Canon Ute, or the Musso, or the rest of the Chinese LDV, whatever, okay? The problem with these brands is they don't have critical mass in the market, and that means that anything can happen into the future, right? It, it just doesn't mean they're going to be here in 10 years' time, and we don't know enough about the long-term sort of knock-on effects of are you going to get support down the track and all of that kind of stuff. What, sign, what kind of customer support culture is there, and is it going to be a resale value disaster? Because, sure, you can save 20 grand up front if you buy one of those yet to be fully established brands, all right? No problem. You, you absolutely do save up front and you could lose all of that saving down the track at resale time when the value goes off a cliff in the way that it does not if you buy a freaking Hilux, okay? So what I'd suggest we do is we run with Hilux Ranger and we add Triton because Triton is the value proposition. And I made a list of 
unique selling propositions for those three, okay? Hilux, best resale value. You see some busted ass Hilux that's got, it's, I don't know, 20 years old or something, and it's got 400,000 Ks on it, and they were hard Ks too, right? And yet, the punter, he wants like, I don't know, 30 grand for it, and he's gonna get it. So Hilux, like most Toyota 4x4s, just enjoys this insane resale value. So, <laughs> and this is a thing that people don't think about enough when they buy new cars. They obsess about the price. They obsess about the finance that they get as well, like what's the rate and all of that stuff. Don't think about resale. If you had to pay the depreciation at the post office once a month, you'd be thinking about the resale, okay? It can burn you like crazy is what I'm saying. So Hilux is the best hedge of these three against depreciation disaster, okay? Lay down Mazare. And it also has the widest support network across the entire country, right? Because you can be on the road to Dingo Piss Creek and you can get your Hilux fixed some other brands most other brands do not enjoy anything like the support network that toyota has in the bush so props to them for that okay ranger well it's very popular like hilux and it's also got grunt ford's a bit prone to throwing customers under the bus though when they have legitimate complaints not quite as badly as volkswagen perhaps but it's still a salient risk when you buy a ford all right, and then there's Triton, which is the best value, and it also has the longest warranty provided you get your car serviced by a Mitsubishi dealer. So you get your five factory years warranty, and then you get another five on top of that if you get your vehicle serviced by the dealer, okay? So if that matters to you, you get the longest warranty with the Triton. And you also get Super Select 2, which gives you the ability to operate in four-wheel drive on a high traction surface, which you cannot do in Ranger or Hilux because they're just 2H and 4H like Grandad's tractor, okay? And you can't use 4H on a high traction surface, or you can as long as you don't mind breaking the transmission. So there's that, okay? You've definitely got grunt with all of them. Triton makes a little bit less power across the whole rev range than the other two but it's also substantially lighter. If you compare Hilux Rugged X, which is 2,316 kilograms curb weight, okay, to 1,999 for the Triton. So that's like 300-ish kilos worth of difference. That's like 15%. And there's not 15% in it on engine output, okay? So Although Triton does not make the power of the other two, it's certainly going to keep up, depending on what loads they carry, okay? And there's also the option with Ranger of having 3.2 five-cylinder engine or the two-litre twin-turbo. And that's kind of an interesting proposition as well because it's 147 kilowatts for the 3.2 and 157 for the two-litre twin-turbo. And that would seem to be a no-brainer, but you've got to spin the engine 25% faster to get those extra 10 kilowatts. So unless you're going to rev its tits off, that's the difference between 3,000, where the 3.2 makes its peak power, and 3,750, where the 2.0-litre twin turbo makes its power. So if you're not up it for the rent all the time, if you don't drive like that, you probably won't notice any difference in the performance. And there are plenty of reports. I have not done a heavy tow test on a Ranger, but 
there are plenty of reports and they seem quite credible and they criticise the 10-speed 2-litre twin turbo powertrain in Ranger. They criticise the transmission for hunting like like this through the gears, can't decide what gear to be in, probably because too many choices. And I would not want that if I was towing something heavy as well. And when it comes to towing, all right, I'd suggest that all of these vehicles are light-duty vehicles, okay? They've got extreme off-road capability compared with a family-type SUV, definitely. And they've got heavier tow capacity as well, but they're still just light to maybe medium-duty vehicles. And although the tow rating says 3.5 tonnes on Hilux and Ranger, I'd suggest to you that that's quite unrealistic when you crunch the numbers, because... If you tow three and a half tons in those vehicles, okay, the payload you can carry is so significantly reduced as to be ridiculous, impractical, whatever. Because there are these limits, the gross combination mass limit, which is the fully laden weight of the trailer plus the fully laden weight of the vehicle, not to exceed about six tons for all of them, okay? In the case of a Hilux Rugged X, the gross combination mass is 5,850 kilos, okay? And if you tow at three and a half tonnes, you can afford to put literally nothing in the ute without overloading the gross combination mass. Same sort of thing with Ranger. It's got a 6,000 kilo uh, gross combination mass and very little tow very little payload, sorry, capacity when you are loading up like that with a heavy trailer, three and a half tons, it's impractical. Triton is not specified like that at all. See, when you look at the specs, you'll see Ranger, three and a half tons. Hilux, three and a half tons. Triton, 3.1. And you think, what's going on? And I'd suggest that what's going on here is Mitsubishi's being realistic and the other two are in an arms race with everyone else, specifying the impractical limit of three and a half tonnes, right? And technically, yes, you can do it with those other two. It's just a really bad idea. And 3.1, right, is on the ragged edge, in my view, because you don't want to tow something that's so spectacularly heavy behind the ute that it has the potential to just nudge the ute off the road, and that happens all the time right? So don't do that, okay? I'd suggest that even 3.1 for the Triton is something you should treat with a grain of salt. And let's look at it like this. Your ute configured for touring with you and some stuff in it and some accessories is probably going to weigh 2.5 to 3 tonnes. And I would not put a trailer behind the ute that was heavier than the ute in that loaded configuration. And in practice, that means about two and a half tonnes for the trailer, okay? That's if you value your life, as opposed to just ticking the box and say, I comply, I comply, I comply. It's impractical to tow three and a half, and it's probably getting up there for unsafe to tow more than two and a half. And that's how this breaks down to me. Look, the other thing I'd suggest to you, if you're in the market for a ute or any other vehicle, is that a lot of people I notice, they're on this quest. It's like the Holy Grail or Homer and the Iliad or something. And they want the perfect whatever, the perfect hatchback, the perfect hot hatch, the perfect ute, the perfect SUV. It doesn't matter. They want the perfect, right? And the perfect doesn't exist. It's like a concept. 
and it doesn't exist for me either because I find myself fantasizing about can I have the engine from that in the uh, package that looks like that but I want their warranty and support culture kind of thing okay and what you've got to do in practice is you've got to jump you've got to say I'm going to lock myself in to this ecosystem and when you're in the ecosystem it's like every other relationship dude right you've got to You've got to embrace the best things about the choice that you've made, haven't you, right? You've got to go, yes, I love this about whatever. And then equally importantly, you just have to learn to tolerate the things that you can't stand, all right? And there will be things that you can't stand, okay? They just will. And the tolerance thing is harder than loving the things that you love. And you know, that's the hardest thing, I think, for a lot of people in the market for a car. Anyway, that's what I would do. I would put Hilux, Ranger, Triton on the list. I would suss them out. You're going to save money if you buy the Triton, right? It's 15 to 20 grand cheaper than the other two. It's not going to have quite the same features, right? It's going to miss out on things like adaptive cruise, right? And you have to learn to live with that. And the other two have got an inverter that delivers 240 volt electricity. It's standard, okay? If you want that with Triton, you've got to plug it in. You know, you've got to go to JCAR or something, and Amazon, find an inverter, get it wired in, and if you want to charge the power tools up, then that's how you're going to have to roll with your Triton, okay? But for 15 grand, you're probably prepared to do that. I know I was, and I wish you could upgrade to adaptive cruise in that way, but hey, I'm just going to have to tolerate that. Anywho, that's how this decision would play out for me. I'm not going to make the choice for Mark. He's going to have to do that himself, and I wish him all the best with it. And I'd like to thank you as well for sticking around with me today and uh, watching this unscripted video. Hopefully I didn't mangle it too badly. I'll see you next time.